from this morning's collect. Grant that we may know and understand what things we ought to do, and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. From today's reading from Deuteronomy, Surely this commandment that I am commanding you today is not too hard for you, nor is it too far away. It is not in heaven, neither is it beyond the sea. No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart for you to observe. From today's gospel lesson from Luke, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. The challenge in today's readings does not lie in their complexity or their theological intricacy. Like the lawyer who tests Jesus by asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We already have the answer. But it's too simple to be believed. Surely there's a a journey or a a multi-layered ritual or a years-long practice we must undertake to be saved. No. Love your God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. But again, like the lawyer, we want to complicate things to find a loophole that will maybe justify our own behavior and our preferences. And so we ask, who is my neighbor? Meaning, actually, who is not my neighbor? Whom specifically do I have to love? Where do I get to draw the line? Where is the border of compassion I don't have to cross so that my way of life and my political affiliations and my retirement accounts remain secure. And I'm still saved. Jesus answers the lawyer and responds to us with the parable of the Good Samaritan. You've heard this story many times, so let me just point out a few details. First of all, the man who is robbed is the only character in the story who is not given a defining characteristic, either religious, ethnic, or occupational. We have robbers, an innkeeper, a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. But the wounded man is no one in particular, which is to say he is everyone. Second thing, the priest and the Levite avoid the man by crossing the road to pass by on the other side. We rightly condemn them for their inaction. But if you were to ask them why they didn't stop to help, they might have justified themselves by saying, you know, I've just spent the last 20 minutes going through the whole rigmarole of making myself ritually pure so I can go up to the temple and do the work of God my religion requires of a man of my standing. So rather than bloody myself by helping this beaten man, which would mean I'd have to go back home at considerable inconvenience and start the purification process all over again. I'm just going to trust that someone else will be along soon to help him. Surely you understand. Third detail about this story. Whenever you hear a story where a priest is the bad guy, 
it's a true story. <laughs> Fourth detail. The good guy is a Samaritan. I'm sure you know from your years of church going that Jews and Samaritans were not exactly kissing cousins. While they worshipped the same God, the ways by which they did so were anathema to one another. So while they actually had much in common, they stressed their differences, their otherness, in order to justify why their own particular way of life was superior. So when Jesus tells Jews a story where a Samaritan is the hero, it appalls them. It threatens their outlook on life. Imagine yourself a progressive feminist, knocked down unconscious at a protest, who wakes up to see a Make America Great Again cap-wearing middle-aged white guy tending to your wounds. Imagine yourself a racist cop arriving at the nursing home on fire only to watch as a low-slung jeans-wearing black teenaged boy runs out the front entrance carrying an elderly white woman. Picture yourself as an ICE agent, ambushed, shot, and left for dead by a local gang, found by a Salvadoran woman and her daughter, both what you would call illegal aliens, who drag you into their home and save your life. Like the first century Jews who heard the parable of the Good Samaritan, we might recoil at these parables. How can this be? How can there be the parable of the good racist, the parable of the good gangbanger, the parable of the good illegal? And yet, that is the message we are being called to hear. Don't miss, in fact, the two-part lesson in this ingenious story of Jesus. One, the robbed and beaten man remains unidentified because your neighbor is anyone and everyone. And two, the man who saves his life is specifically identified as a Samaritan because your neighbor is precisely the person you most hate. And those two lessons are actually the real challenge in today's reading. Fifth detail. When the lawyer is asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He answers, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Who is my neighbor? To whom must I show mercy? Let me tell you a little story. It'll be short. Um, this Tuesday afternoon, I met someone who wanted to meet for spiritual counseling at uh, a local Starbucks, the one next to Aldo's by the Starbucks on North Santa Cruz. And uh, I didn't know him, but uh, he was having some health trouble, and he really wanted to talk to a pastor, and so we met. And uh, he was 30 minutes late, and I was about to leave when he comes rushing through the door. Now, uh, he, he was, he, he's in a wheelchair, but somehow he walked in pushing his wheelchair, came in, threw himself down on the wheelchair. He was this big guy, big white t-shirt, lots of food stains on it, was panting, couldn't breathe, had an army or a Navy veteran's cap on. Ah, very loud. The Starbucks was full. He was making all kinds of noise. And I thought, oh, oh. <laughs> 
I said, can I get you anything to drink? He said, ice water, ice water. And so I got up and went to the line. And of course, there was a line because there's always a line. And it took 10 minutes to get him his water. And I brought it back. And he took the cap off. And he poured some water into his hand and threw it on his face. And then he poured some water in his hand. And he threw it on his face. And then he poured some water in his hand. And he threw it over his head. And I thought he was going to take the whole ice water and dump it. But he didn't. And he said, i got to cool down. And everything was done as if he was in an opera. It was on stage, and everyone in the Starbucks was not comfortable. Uh, they were either glaring or they were not looking. And so I'm in my clericals. I think, okay, I'm safe, you know. But here's a guy, and he wants to talk. And so finally we started talking, and he told me all of his troubles, and they were so vast. Um, you know, uh, lots of stuff. Um, and, you know, God forgive me, but I, at a certain point, I stopped believing him. Fifteen heart attacks, seven broken ribs, three strokes, an inoperable brain tumor, uh, blindness in uh, his eye if it gets operated on, and um, wanting to be a victim, his neighbor wants to evict him. All this stuff spewed out at top volume uh, in the Starbucks. And uh, finally, after about 30 minutes, I said, what do you want me to do for you? And he said... I want you to pray for me. And I said, okay, we, we can do that. Uh, but before I could start, he started coughing. And he said, oh boy, I'm sorry. I, I got a cold from someone the other day, kind of on top of everything else. And um, he said something, and he starts coughing harder. And he says, oh, sometimes when I cough this hard, I vomit. <laughs> and he started going, <coughs> heaving. And I said, oh, I'm getting some napkins. So I run and get some napkins and I bring them back and I hold on. But he, it passes. And I said, you know, let's go say that prayer outside somewhere nice. <laughs> so I got him in his wheelchair and wheeled him to a, a spot that, um, a secret little spot by the Safeway I'd never seen before. Uh, but he'd been homeless in the past and knows the spot. And so we went there and um, I said a prayer. Not a bad prayer. <laughs> said a prayer for him. And we said amen. And then immediately he launches into a prayer for me. And you know, it was a beautiful prayer. It was better than mine. <laughs> and um, thank you, God, for this pastor. Please bless him in his ministry. Make him courageous and strong and help him to help the people you've sent him to help. And it was beautiful. And I thanked him after the prayer. And, and then I, you know, I said, well, I'll take you home. And so I pushed him in his wheelchair, which he said he lived around the corner, but it was actually about 10 minutes away and it was 85 degrees and I was in my suit and clericals and in the sun and I was melting, but we did it. And he was in good spirits when I said goodbye. So it would have been helpful to this sermon for me to have stood up in that Starbucks and asked everyone, who is your neighbor? <laughs> right here. Um, and it's good for me to hear it as well. Because sometimes our neighbor are these people we really kind of want to pass by on the other side of the road. And um, it happens often enough here in Los Gatos to me, I must admit, that um, I notice it. When I'm in San Francisco, it happens even more. Uh, but they are your neighbor. And uh, they are the ones that you are called to show mercy to. I don't know how that translates in your life. Um, but I'm guessing that not every one of you uh, steps up uh, to the plate when a uh, situation or circumstance is awkward or uncomfortable. But that's who Jesus says our neighbor is. Another example, who is my neighbor? 
So um, a little bit of a confession. I've been feeling kind of helpless in some ways since uh, William and I returned from our vacation in Europe. Uh, while we were in Europe for two weeks, we were blissfully unaware of the news cycle here in America. And it was, you know, it's kind of nice. Uh, and we come back, and of course, I sort of gorge on what I've missed. And it's, you know, don't do that. That's some advice for you. Don't gorge on the news. Uh, you need it piecemeal. Um, so the, the big thing that kind of stuck off for me are those border detention camps that we are now sponsoring. Um, and I say we because we are the United States. Um, and it is cruel. I don't know how else to put that. I, I, I assume and imagine that some of you are on various uh, spots of the political spectrum, but I, I hope we can all agree that, wow, that's not so nice. Uh, and what can we do about it? And <laughs> these people in Congress, you know, we put a man on the moon and we can't figure this out. So I've been feeling helpless about it, and um, you know, I, 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 we're all implicated. There's a, a confession that we're going to say together shortly, where we repent of the evil we have done, and the evil done on our behalf. And um, that's us. So, uh, you know, I would like to say we're powerless, but then I read this story that was both inspiring and... Um, Convicting. Uh, the Bishop of El Paso, Roman Catholic, Mark Seitz, on June 29th, I believe, uh, walked across the border from El Paso into Ciudad Juarez with uh, three people who were being deported to escort them and make sure that they got to the migrant shelter on the other side. And when he got to the other side, he brought back seven uh, people, uh, part of whom was a little family, uh, into the United States to seek asylum, which is legal. Uh, halfway across the bridge, he stopped by a, a border guard and challenged, and he says, we, we have a right to do this, etc. He said his heart was racing, but the border guard let him through, and uh, the seven people then got processed. And, um, you know, that bishop is brave, and he lives right there. You know, I get to live here in Los Gatos with lovely you guys in this air-conditioned church um, where not a lot of folks speak Spanish. And... Um, but this guy's an example. I, 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 what, what can we do? You know, he's doing something. Maybe he's got the imprimatur of Rome, and he's a bishop, so he can do such things. And uh, I speak Spanish. You know, I love, I love kids. I love playing and working with kids. Uh, but I, I don't do anything. And so, who is your neighbor, and who is my neighbor? Neighbor is the one that we vilify. Neighbor is the one that we're afraid of. Neighbor is the one that. We feel helpless around. And um, I guess I tell you that story because it's really on my mind because in between services, I check the computer and uh, ice rates have begun in New York City and a few other cities, not yet in the Bay Area, uh, but they have begun as, as promised um, and, you know, the latest. And there we are. And it's a complicated situation, you know. I don't want an open border. I don't want a closed border. But there's got to be something in between. We've got to figure it out. So maybe all we do for now is pray. Maybe we think about something together we might be able to do or help a church that is closer to the border. Or maybe none of this speaks to you. And I'm sorry for that. Um, so that's what's on my mind about neighbors. Sixth and final detail I'd like to point out. 
I like to think that the lawyer who has questioned Jesus in today's reading leaves a changed man, getting much more than he bargained for from the exchange, receiving a directive he can no longer talk his way around, can no longer bypass on the other side of the road. Do this and you will live. My friends, there are no bystanders. We belong to each other. There are no bystanders. We either stop to help or we walk on by. God grant that we may know and understand what things we ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them.